You are listening to episode 42 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher, welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Never say about anything, I have lost it, but say, I have returned it. Has your little child died? It has been returned. Has your wife died? She has been returned. I have been robbed of my land. No, that has been returned as well. But it was a bad person who stole it. Why are you bothered about the individual the donor used to demand its return? As long as these things are given to you, take care of them as things that are not your own, just as travelers treat their lodging. Enchiridion 11. Sometimes when I read passages like this one, I think maybe the Enchiridion needs a warning label or trigger warning for moderns. The teachings of Epictetus intend to retrain our disquieted, troubled minds and move us toward a state of well-being. However, for many moderns, even those caught up in the enthusiasm for popularized versions of Stoicism in our time, a passage like this one must be difficult at best. They cause some people to question why anyone would or even should practice Stoicism. But Epictetus warned us that the philosopher's school is like a doctor's surgery, and his words often do cut like a surgeon's knife, deep into our psyche. Why? Because we weren't in good health when we entered the door of the Stoa. Admittedly, apart from adopting the Stoic worldview, I'm not sure how this passage, among others, can make any sense at all. However, my task on this podcast is not to conform Stoicism to the modern materialist version of the Epicurean worldview. This podcast exists to teach people how to live as if the cosmos is divine and providentially ordered, as the Stoics taught. To borrow a phrase sent to me in an email from Ty, a podcast listener, this is Stoicism on fire, not Epicureanism by the fireplace. Thank you, Ty, and no, this is certainly not Epicureanism by the fireplace. And I will not dilute Stoicism to make it conform to modern sensibilities. If we moderns had it all figured out, If we had all the answers to the problems that are plaguing our troubled psyches, we wouldn't be looking for solutions in a philosophy that's more than 2,300 years old. But we don't have it all figured out. Because Stoicism is a holistic philosophy from an ancient time, it requires effort to understand it and to put it into practice. Stoic theory and practice requires the practitioner to chew on and digest the concepts that initially may appear entirely foreign or even objectionable to moderns. Stoicism is not a fast-food philosophy. The Stoa is not a place to grab some in-and-out virtue, or a eudaimonic happy meal, complete with a Stoic toy inside. And contrary to what so many moderns seem to believe, the Stoa was not a place where you could go to have it your way. The ancient Stoa served wholesome and hearty fare to brave souls who were willing to challenge the mistaken judgments that disquieted their minds so that they could develop virtue and live well in a providentially ordered cosmos. To the best of my ability, cosmos willing, I will continue to present that holistic, undiluted version of Stoicism for the listeners of this podcast. With that out of the way, what is the lesson of Enchiridion 11? Well, there are two parts. One, our relationship with the divine cosmos. 
to stewardship of those things given to our care. As Keith Sedan points out in his commentary on Enchiridion 11, one of Epictetus's core objectives that forms a dominant theme in the discourses is to nurture in his students the proper understanding of God and the formation of the right sort of relationship with God. End quote. When we read the discourses of Epictetus, one thing is clear. He used language indicative of a personal relationship with the divine. He refers to God as Father and argues our every thought and action is visible to the divine. While this language may provoke comparison with monotheistic religions, we need to understand Stoic theory to put it into context. In Stoic theory, we each possess a fragment of the divine within us, and the Stoics called this the God within. Therefore, our rational faculty is a fragment of the divine. Our mind exists in a sea of mind that permeates the entire cosmos and is God. So what is the right sort of relationship with God from the Stoic perspective? A.A. A. Long, my favorite scholar of Stoicism, provides us with a clear answer in his book titled Epictetus, A Stoic and Socratic Guide to Life. In chapter 6 of this insightful book, Long describes the theological orientation of Epictetus. Long notes that Epictetus was, quote, completely committed to the belief that the world is providentially organized by a divine power whose creative agency reaches its highest manifestation in human beings. That was orthodox Stoicism, and much else that Epictetus attributes to divinity is quite traditional, end quote. As Long points out, Epictetus was not an outlier regarding the religious sentiments, as some moderns assert. He continues, However, no theology is simply a matter of doctrine. Conceptions of the divine are indicated in numerous ways that go beyond such epithets as eternal, creative, providential, and beneficent, on all of which the Stoics were agreed. Awe, reverence, gratitude, joy, prayer, obedience. These are a sample of attitudes that a serious belief in a supreme divinity typically involves. Stoic philosophers just like other believers, vary considerably over which of these attitudes they express and with what degree of emotional engagement. When we review Epictetus from this perspective, his theology emerges as most distinctive in two respects. First, it serves as the explicit foundation for his moral psychology, and secondly, its warmly and urgently personalistic tone. More emphatically than any other Stoic in our record, Epictetus speaks of Zeus or God in terms that treat the world's divine principle as a person to whom one is actually present and who is equally present to oneself as an integral aspect of one's mind. End quote. The worldview of the Stoics provides an entirely different perspective on the cosmos and the events which occur in nature. Epictetus delivered his lectures from that perspective. Therefore, Many of his lessons will appear counterintuitive or nonsensical apart from the Stoic conception of the cosmos as a divine, rational, and providentially ordered organism. Two of the hardest lessons for moderns to accept are, first, that we are not in control of external events, and second, that there is a larger purpose for all events that occur in nature, even those that appear tragic to us. Those two truths provide the basis for understanding Stoicism and they highlight why so many people misunderstand or mischaracterize Stoicism in our time. As Simplicius wrote in his commentary on Enchiridion 11, someone who believes that he has lost possessions belonging to himself cannot help but be distressed and blame the person who takes them back. 
Whereas someone who gives back another's possessions, unless he is thoroughly inconsiderate, is neither distressed nor blames the person who recovers their own things. But external things are not ours. That is why they are not up to us. The only things that are ours are desires and impulse and aversion. And it is in these things that our good and bad reside. End quote. Many moderns reject both of these truths. We want to control that which is outside of our rational faculty. We want to control the external world. Now, please understand, there is nothing wrong with attempting to affect our physical well-being. Those efforts cured diseases, created life-saving medical procedures, and improved our lives in many ways. It is our duty to do all that we can to affect change for the betterment of humankind, even if the product of our effort is a preferred indifferent. Nevertheless, we must accept the fact that we are not in control of the cosmos. We are foolish to get upset and blame others and the cosmos when events don't happen the way that we want them to. As Keith Sedan wrote, In Handbook 11, God is identified as the giver, as the source from which everything we have and enjoy originates, and to whom everything eventually must be given back. End quote. Yes, that includes our spouse, our children, our property, and even our lives. As Adolf Friedrich Bonhoeffer, a 19th century German theologian, wrote in his book on the ethics of Epictetus, quote, Every external belongs to us only, like the bed in an inn, end quote. So how do we learn to think and live like that? Well, Stoic training. Again, as Keith Sedan notes, Stoics claim that their special training offers not merely to insulate us from these distresses, but to transform our outlook so completely that we become wholly immune to them. Many people would retort that since losing someone we are close to is the worst possible of human misfortune, for Epictetus to suggest that we should develop an outlook that will prevent us from being upset amounts to suggesting that we should strive to be less than human. For how can it be said that we really loved someone if we are not upset at losing them? Epictetus, of course, would refute that charge and claim paradoxically in the eyes of the uneducated person to be sure that it is people who get carried away by events and who get upset by losses who fall short of their potential humanity. For one essential component of a fully realized humanity is accepting one's fate as what is best and what is needed for the world to fulfill its end according to God's plan. End quote. Stoic training enables us to escape the mindset of the uneducated we learned about in Enchiridion 5 episode 36, and start living as one who is making progress on the path of the Prokopton. After we have adopted that worldview by assenting to a rational and providentially ordered cosmos, we can learn to say, as Marcus did, quote, Everything suits me that suits your designs, O my universe. Nothing is too early or too late for me that is in your own good time. All is fruit for me that your seasons bring, O nature. All proceeds from you. All subsists in you and to you all things return. Meditations 4.23 As we can see, that passage from Marcus's Meditations perfectly reflects the lesson of Enchiridion 11. And that brings us to the second part of this lesson. Stewardship of those things given to our care. For anyone who mistakenly thinks that Stoicism teaches quietism or encourages us to treat family and others indifferently because they fall into the category of preferred indifference, pay close attention to the closing sentence of Enchiridion 11. It reads, As long as those things are given to you, 
Take care of them as things that are not your own, just as travelers treat their lodging. Yes, as Bonhoeffer noted, all externals are like a bed in an inn. They are temporary, and they may only be present in our lives for a short while. Nevertheless, it is our duty to take care of them while they are on loan to us from God. As Keith Sidon writes, Understanding that everything we have is on loan from God does not reduce or undermine our commitments and duties to them. A Stoic does not love anyone less because this person is God's to dispose of as he wills, or fails to take care of these objects to the highest standards because, directed by the will of God, they were brought into being by certain changes occurring in the world and will find their end in different transformations that will unmake them, leaving their constituent elements ready to be made into yet another thing. The whole of our lives, then, should be regarded as a temporary stopover at an end during which we have the use and enjoyment of, but also the responsibility for, the things and facilities that are made available to us. The capacity to transform our understanding of loss according to the teachings of this chapter will be, at least in part, a measure of our progress toward eudaimonia and a good flow in life. End quote. Bonhoeffer also emphasized this point as he wrote, However, it emerges that as seriously as Epictetus emphasizes the worthlessness of external goods for true happiness, he by no means values them as entirely trivial, but means to please himself with their possession and enjoyment so long as it is offered. The apathy which he demands is, I would like to say, not a psychological, but only a moral one. Whoever does not possess these external goods should not desire them, and when he loses them, he should not mourn and complain about it, because by this means his inner peace is disturbed and his moral purpose of life is missed. Yet whoever has them is allowed to be pleased with them and must thank God for it. Nothing is our philosopher more against and is able to irritate him more than a dissatisfied, ungrateful mind which does not recognize or regards as trivial the gifts of God. End quote. When we step into the proper Stoic relationship with the divine, we learn to see all externals, including children, spouses, jobs, wealth, poverty, and houses as gifts on loan from God. As a result, when those externals are returned to the giver, we are not troubled by their loss. Instead, we can be thankful for the time we had with them under our care. We are not the owners or possessors of those externals in this paradigm. Instead, we are the stewards assigned to care for them for as long as fate determines. As I noted at the beginning of this episode, these concepts are pretty foreign to us moderns, raised in a secular age and indoctrinated into the mechanistic materialist worldview modern science offers. Unfortunately, those promoted as the most brilliant minds of contemporary philosophy and science tell us that the scientific search for the soul has determined we are nothing more than a pack of neurons. Likewise, they tell us that our consciousness is an illusion or epiphenomenon created by the firing of those neurons. Finally, they boldly inform us there is nothing special about humankind. We are just survival machines, robot vehicles, blindly programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. Contrast that bleak, nihilistic worldview with the stoic conception of humans and the cosmos we live in, and it's no wonder that people are looking to stoicism for answers. Yes, many parts of it appear old-fashioned and out of touch with modern sensibilities. And sadly, some prominent moderns who claim to be practicing stoics tell us that the stoic worldview is untenable in light of the modern science. 
That is simply not true, of course. It is instead an expression of a cognitively biased mind beholden to atheism and the modern scientific worldview that supports it. We know that because many brilliant minds disagree. Still, there is a reason our souls resonate with something deeply profound in the Stoic writings. We can acknowledge our cultural and temporal distance from them, yet they stir something within us. I argue that our intuitive understanding of nature and human nature tells us that the modern materialist atheistic worldview which inevitably leads to nihilism is wrong. We know our consciousness is not an illusion. We know we have the freedom to choose between alternatives. Finally, even though we cannot prove it, we know that our life has some inherent meaning. Our individual lives mean something in the grand scheme of things. That is why those meditations of Marcus Aurelius and the discourses of Epictetus and the writings of Seneca stir our soul and convince us to look further into the worldview that guided their lives. We marvel when we read the words of a Roman emperor who could have demanded whatever the world could provide him at any moment, but instead allowed his life to be guided by a divine and providentially ordered cosmos. Therefore, he could say, everything suits me that suits your designs, O my universe. Nothing is too early or too late for me that is in your own good time. All is fruit for me that your seasons bring, O nature. All proceeds from you. All subsists in you. And to you, all things return. Thank you for listening to Stoicism on Fire. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That tells others that this podcast is worth listening to and helps introduce more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you're interested in exploring traditional Stoicism further, you will find plenty of resources at traditionalstoicism.com. If you're ready for an online mentored training program, check out the College of Stoic Philosophers at collegeofstoicphilosophers.org. That is where I received my initial education and training in the theory and practice of Stoicism. If you're interested in a social media environment where you can find some like-minded fellow travelers, join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, send me an email at chris at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue practicing the traditional form of Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.